Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. The Bible, guys, the, the, the noted Bible scholar James M. Gray told a story that underscores the importance of reading the scriptures for personal growth, okay? He said that when he was a young Bible teacher, he became deeply impressed by the peace and the spiritual poise of a friend with whom he often talked about the scriptures. Since Gray wanted the same stability, he asked his companion the secret of his confident bearing and positive outlook. He says, it all started with reading the book of Ephesians. And said the man, and so Gray was surprised by his simple response, and he had read Ephesians many times, but had never experienced the strength that he saw in his friend. Well, noticing Frey's puzzled look, the man explained, okay, let me tell you what happened. He says, on one occasion, I went on a short vacation, and I took a pocket edition of Ephesians with me. He said, lying down one afternoon, I read all six chapters. My interest was so aroused that I read the entire epistle again. In fact, he says, I did not lay it down until I had gone through it some 15 times. He said, that's when I arose to go into the house. I was in possession of Ephesians. Or better yet, he says, that was, he says, better yet, it was in possession of me. I had the feeling that I had been lifted up to sit together in heavenly places with Christ. A feeling that is new to me. This testimony encouraged Gray, the master of scriptures for himself. He began to saturate his mind and his heart with God's word so that he could freely and effectively communicate it to others. You go, Pastor, your point. Do you realize that the illustration in the context gives us the importance of studying the word of God? Because it does something much, much more. Now listen, I know church weren't bombarded by so many periodicals or, or media or all sorts of forms of media, right? Whether it be the internet or anything else. But the illustration gives us the importance of understanding the Word of God and actually letting it saturate in our lives, right? The, the illustration is, it just, it just explodes with how can we have the peace of God? How can we have the, just without reading His Word? Not only reading His Word, but allowing His Word to what? To read us. To read us. And that's what's going to make the change. That's what Mr. Gray was talking about. And then I found another interesting story about it from a fella by the names of James Hamilton. And here's what he writes, okay? James Hamilton writes, there are two kinds of Bible readers. Two kinds, he says. Those who skim the surface, kind of looking, and those who dig deep. Two kinds of Bible readers, he says. Matter of fact, he says, he goes on to describe them, comparing them to two common insects. Let's see if you can grab which one is which. He writes this. One insect is remarkable for its imposing plumage which shows in the sunbeams like the dust of gems as you watch this jaunty gyrations over the fields with his minute dance from flower to flower. You cannot help admiring its graceful activity for it's plainly getting over a great deal of ground. He says the other though, in the same field there's another worker 
His brown vest and business-like straightforward flight may not have arrested your eye. His fluttering neighbor darts down here and there. He sips elegantly wherever he can find a drop of ready nectar, but this dingy plotter makes a point of alighting everywhere. And whenever he alights, he either finds honey or makes it. If the flower cup be deep, he goes down to the bottom. If a dragon mouth be shut, he thrusts his lips asunder. If the nectar be peculiar, he explores all about till he discovers it. His rival, his painted velvet wings, has no patience for such dull and long-winded details. The one died last October. The other is warm in his hive amidst a fragrant stores that he has gathered. James Hamilton ends his story with, which type of Bible reader are you? Are you a butterfly or are you a bee? Today, guys, we are simply going to talk about the importance of God's Word and what happens when we simply don't get taught the Word of God, get taught the Word of God. Now, listen, I am in no way, uh, anyway, want to offend my Christian brothers who preach the Bible or who get excited, or I, I am talking about what the proverb is going to teach us, which is the importance of learning and growing in God's Word, in God's Word. So, if you're taking notes, okay, and you get extra points in, in heaven when you have notes, Proverbs 29 and 18 is one of, the, one of the seven that we looked at, misused, misquoted verses we find in Scripture. Okay, so there's two main ideas, okay, two main ideas that we need to consider before we move on. You go, what's that, Ben? Number one, when it comes to Proverbs 29 and 18, although it's a proverb, okay, it's not a standalone verse, okay? It's connected through all of chapter 29, which actually deals with stubbornness. Now, I know none of you know that word. There's nobody in this room that's stubborn. Can I get an amen? Yeah, nobody said amen because like, we're all stubborn. It's a, it deals with stubbornness, okay? So that's the first thing. The second thing, guys, is that a verse taken out of context, help me, becomes a pretext and you can make it say anything you want. So as we study Proverbs 29 and 18, let's remember its truest form is about God's word being taught to the people so that they could grow and mature. Uh, it's a lot like a flower. You know what I'm talking about now? now like, okay, so like, like, do I have any green thumbs in here? People who can grow stuff? Any, any green? Nobody? Nobody? One. I love it. She's always one. She, she grows everything. Does anybody ever grow flowers? Nobody, yeah. Okay, let's try this again. Does anybody ever grow flowers? There you go, there's one. Santos, you grow flowers? Man, that's going to go on the radio right there. Santos Lotus Jr. goes <laughs> goes flowers. Uh, anyway, the point is this. You can, go, you can go to the nursery, right, and you can buy flowers that are already blooming, right? You take them and you transplant them, and, and then you just enjoy them. You're like, oh, look at the beautiful flowers I grew. Well, you really didn't grow them because they were already growing. You just put them in the pot. But then there's also something called seeds. Everybody remember seeds? You take those seeds. What do you have to do with those seeds? You put them in dirt, right? What do they do? They die. They're in the dirt. You cover them up, and then you water them. 
you water them and you watch them and you sing to them and then you put a little bit of fertilizer and you make sure you get lots of sun and then one day you see a little thing. It's like, oh, look at this, it's all right, right? And then it grows and it's a, that's exactly what the word of God should do, right? Okay, but what has to die so the word of God, so that we can grow in the word of God? We do. We have to go deep into the soil and allow the word of God to come in as that is that natural sunlight and the water and, and all of these things so that we can grow and we can mature. And that's exactly what the word of God, that's exactly what Proverbs 29, 18 is saying. And you go, Ben, okay, I get it. So let me ask you a question. What's the problem? What's the problem? Well, many people, including authors and pastors, take this verse out of context and they use it for something that they want to intend to use it for. Right? Now, you guys are amazing, brilliant people, so you know that that's what happens a lot of times in churches. We'll find a verse, we'll have an idea, we'll have a, you know, whatever it might be, and then we'll attach a verse to get going what we want to get going. Okay? And so a lot of people will do that. You go, well, that's what I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm following you. Okay, well, let's take a moment. Let me take a moment to, um, so we can see what this verse is talking about. So you can first get it, okay? So let's read together, guys, and then we'll discuss how they misuse this verse. Look at Proverbs 29 and 18. I'm going to read from the New King James Version at first, and then I'll just break it up. Notice what it says. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Everybody see that? Now, listen. When we read it here, I mean, it doesn't really do anything for us, right? That's not like something we want to put on a t-shirt or a coffee cup or a bumper sticker. That's just kind of like, really? Okay, what's your verse for, what's your life verse? My life verse is, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. People are like, what? I can't wait to put that in my coffee cup. No, it doesn't do anything for us, guys. As a matter of fact, when we read the Proverbs, we kind of go, oh, okay, read the next one. Well, let's read the next one, right? But but let, let me let me um, let me just break it down a little bit, okay? We know it doesn't. We can easily pass it by. But see, others have taken this verse and they found another translation, which actually this is what they're going to springboard from. Okay, let me give it to you in the King James version. Okay, the King James version says a little bit different. It says this: where there is no vision, everybody say vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Okay, so this is where they get it from. This is the version they love, the King James. Why? Because it has two words that really spark our interest. What are they? Their vision and perish. Okay, their vision and perish. And you go, okay, okay, so vision is used in the King James. Now, now let me give you, labor with me for a moment because I want to give you a couple of others. The new, uh, the NIV reads it like this, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Still not a coffee cup verse. Amen. Then we have the New Living Translation where it says, where the people do not uh, accept divine guidance, they'll run wild. And I like that one, okay? Where we don't get divine guidance, right? And you go, well, I'm not sure I understand that. Have you had kids? If you had kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Why? Because if they don't accept your divine guidance, they're going to run wild. That's exactly kind of what it's saying. The English Standard Version says where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Now, most people will still go back to the King James Version and use vision and perish. Okay, And they'll run it and they'll take it out of context and they'll misuse it. And you go, well, Pastor, how? How are they going to misuse this? 
Well, this verse, a lot of Christians, a lot of pastors, a lot of Christian authors have latched on. And here's what they're doing, guys. They're claiming that it provides a biblical basis for the importance of vision in leadership. This passage is used most notably by leaders within the church for, for church growth movement. This is what they would do. And, and here's what they've done. They've, they've mangled and replied on this verse so much more in kind of seeker-sensitive church movements. They'll take this verse. Now, here's what we've got to understand. We've got to understand that our church won't shrivel and die if we don't have a vision statement, although we do. And let me say this to you. Vision statements are fantastic, and they can be helpful. However, this passage is not a divine reminder for pastors to build a better brand. This verse is often used to remind leaders that if they don't have a compelling vision or dream big, that the people will be lost. You go, how so? Okay, let me give you some examples, okay? Many authors or many pastors will get up there and they'll go, okay, here's, here's what I got to do. Here's what I got to do. Listen, I'm being called to be a pastor. I'm going to go plant a church. The first thing I need is vision. I need a mission statement. And, and that's all good. That's business. You got, you got to have that. But here's where pastors misuse this. And let me give you some examples, okay? Let me give you some examples. Here's one, and see if you can understand the heart behind it. One pastor writes, my imagination influences my aspiration. In other words, he says, your dreams, church, your dreams determine your destiny. To accomplish anything, you first, you, you must first have a mission, a goal, a hope, and a vision. And then he attaches this. He says, without vision, people perish. Proverbs 29 and 18. Now, listen, that's a great motivation. Of course, it's like, guys, listen, without vision, you're not going to make it. Without dreaming big, come on. <coughs> but then he, what? He latches that on. Another pastor writes this. All memorable achievements were brought about by leaders who had a vision. Really? Really? God uses vision to excite leaders because excited leaders get the most out of their followers. Active followers accomplish much, and the church body keeps getting bigger thanks to prevailing local churches. That's why Proverbs 29 and 18 clearly states, where there is no vision, the people perish. Let a leader grasp that godly vision and then watch the people work. Another pastor writes this, another author says, Proverbs 29 and 18 says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. They can't focus, can't reach their goal, can't follow their dream. Another translation says, without vision, the people perish. I've seen it with my own eyes, he says. Without vision, people will lose vitality that makes them feel alive. And that one, I'm like, really, do you see what he's saying to you? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, without a proper vision or mission statement, that you guys cannot accomplish what God has actually asked you to accomplish. That you can't dream big, and we can't reach the world for Jesus. And I'm going, okay, okay, I get it. But see, you started off by saying what? Proverbs 29 and 18. And another one, he says this. He says, in the workbook section, transitioning, a textbook for leading a church from a program-driven to a purpose-driven model, Dan Sutherland examines the vision in light of Proverbs 29.18, suggesting that we should interpret this verse in the present tense to read, where there is no visioning, the people perish. And of course, last one, 
Tony Morgan, pastor of Granger Community Church in South Bend, Indiana, quoting this passage, writes, quote, Without a planned destination, no one knows where to go. In churches, that leads, uh, that leads to people doing ministry without a purpose. Programs drive these churches because no one has determined where the church is grow- going. A vision statement paints a picture of the ideal future of your ministry and focuses prayer and energy and resources. That's a lot of how people misuse this. But let me say this to you, okay? Let's chat for just a moment. Guys, I'm not saying, and I'm not here to tell you that a vision statement or a mission statement or goals or core values are wrong, okay? I think they're great. I think they're amazing. As a matter of fact, we have our own vision statement, and that, that was that was something that God put in my heart early on. As a matter of fact, it was 13 years ago that we pulled up, right? We pulled up in the U-Haul, and we said, okay, we're going to plant this church. Well, who's coming? I don't know, but we're going to trust God. Okay, and so we showed up, and so all of a sudden I go, we need a vision, we need a vision, we need a, what does God want to do? And so I was young at this, and so I decided, hey, listen, I'll just steal this pastor's vision statement, it sounds like a good one, I like this pastor, he's my favorite pastor, let's just pull his. And the vision was making disciples, right? So I said, that's what we're going to do, we're going to make disciples, and the Lord's like, really? Did you even think that through? You just pulled it from him. And I'm like, well, I don't know, Lord. And he says, I want you to take a look at Lubbock. Take a look about, at your surroundings. And then I want you to create a vision for, for the people around you, the people that I've called you to minister. And I said, okay, Lord, what am I going to do? And so I started looking, and here's what I've noticed. And help me out, church, if you've noticed there. There were a lot of people in our city who claimed Christianity. They wore the T-shirt, but they lived completely opposite from the Word of God. And I sat there going, I, I, I couldn't understand. Okay, and so I'd come around and I'd visit with people and they're like, praise God, yeah, I'm a Christian. But again, you would see their lifestyle and they were completely living contrary to God's word. And I was like, wow, I, I, Lord, what do, what do I need to do? And that's where he gave us our vision statement. You know what our vision is? Our vision is teaching people to love God. And, and here's why. This is specifically for us. And you go, why? Because I thought, Lord, if we could just teach them to love you, if we can teach them in your word to love you so much, they don't want to go off and act a different way contrary to your word. They're going to want to love you and be obedient to you, and they're going to want to follow you. And they're going to say goodbye to that old world. They're going to say goodbye to the old self and go, well, why, why, hey, 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 bro, hey, hey, bro, bro, why, why don't you want to go party with me? And you go, because I love God. Yeah, but you, you, no, no, there's something, something in my heart has changed. I, my heart's been transformed, and, and that's the vision, teaching people to love God, right? And, and knowing, and, and, and loving Him, and knowing that He loves us, no matter who we are, that was our vision. And then, and then a few years later, the Lord knocks on my heart, and He says, listen, part of your vision is your DNA. You need some core values. You, you, you need to know, we need to know who we are. So the leadership got together and said, okay, we need some core values. Who, who are we, right? Who are we? And we started thinking, and we came up with three simple ones. You guys know them. Three simple core values. You go, what are they? Love God, love people, and live radically. Those are our core values, okay? Everything we are, everything, and, 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 and again, think about it. The first thing we need to do is we need to love God more than anything. With every breath, with every thought, with every everything, we need to love God. And second, we need to love People. We need to love people. Why? Because I'm sorry, guys, but the church of Jesus Christ today, we're the only ones that, that what? We're the only ones that are accused of shooting our own wounded. What does that mean? When we're broken by the world and we come and go, oh, what's wrong? Oh, I was sinning and I got wounded and it hurts. And we all go, really? Okay, shoot him. Kill him. You're no good to us. 
Where were you doing? I was out in the club and I shouldn't have been. Shoot him. Shoot him. And there are a lot of us who go, oh, I will. Because I've never been in the club. We, we do. Guys, listen, listen. I've heard, I've heard of pastors in our city that were just, they so beat up on people because they hadn't, because he hadn't touched alcohol in, in 20 years. I'm going, guys, listen, we don't want to shoot our wounded. We want to what? We want to love people. We want to love them back to life. You know what we want to do? When the guy's wounded, we want to go, hey, 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 let me help you. Let me help you. Why? Church, listen to me, because that could be us. That could be us. Listen, without Jesus Christ, we're this close to what? I mean, we are. I am not. Yes, you are. You're this close. And, and so you need the Lord and you need his Holy Spirit. And so we're supposed to love people. But you know what? We're also supposed to live radically. We're supposed to live radically. Why? Because you're believers. You're followers of Jesus Christ. Look how, look how radical Jesus lived. I mean, right? Jesus just lived. And I mean, think about it. You go, well, how can I live radically? I mean, but what if God called you to do a mission trip two weeks in Mexico? That's radical, right? You go, God would never call me because I can't speak Spanish. No comprende español. I mean, you're just, that's, listen, if God's calling you, you need to live radically. You'd be like, listen, God, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Why? Because the core value that we have, the DNA of who we are, is help me, church. We love God first. And if God's calling us, I'm in. And then we're going to love people because there's people that need Jesus in Mexico, in Texas, and in Lubbock. And then we're going to live radically. What does that mean for you? What's radical for you? What's living radical? Not doing the same thing. You know, doing the same thing every day, but living radical. That's our core value, guys. That's who we are. And we want to live radical. And so again, we have what? We have our vision. We have our mission statement. We exist as a church because we want to see people back to life. I mean, I get it. So I'm not the guy going, you shouldn't have a vision. You shouldn't have a vision. But what I'm saying, and I think the danger is, guys, the danger is when we take a verse out of context, we can get in real trouble. You know, what do you mean? Vision, guys, according to the authors that I wrote to you, seems to be an integral part of the church leadership. A leader who does not cast and follow vision leads his church towards destruction? The words, the people perish, are often interpreted by proponents of the church growth to mean that churches without a clear vision will lose members and be unable to numerically grow and flourish. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Ben? Welcome to Calvary Chapel. What's your vision? Don't have one. Oh, I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah, but we have work. Did you hear? Did you guys hear the word? We heard worship. We got, we got, we got the guitar. But do you have a vision statement? No. Well, I can't come to this church. I can't come to this church because we, that's what they're saying. That's how they're taking that verse. If we don't have a clear cut. Now, listen, again, we have a vision statement. We want you to be part of our DNA. We want you to know, okay, this is what we believe. What's that? We're going to what? We're going to love God. We're going to love people. We're going to live radically. How simple is that? Now, many of these authors and preachers, guys, will use this verse to remind the church that if they don't have a compelling vision statement and dream big, the people will be lost. Now, here's my thought, okay? You know, Ben, why are you making such a big deal? I mean, vision, parish, is not a big deal. 
I, I mean, I'm going to come to church where the Bible's being taught. Well, here's what, here's what blows my mind, okay? And, and, and they're on all of them. Um, here's, what, here's what I want you to see. Picture the pastor, okay? Picture the pastor that says, oh, I feel called. I feel called to plant a church. I feel called to plant a church. And he's a young man, right? And he's like, okay. And, and guess what? I got wind. I, I heard that there's a church that's needing a pastor, and there's 80 people there. And I'm going to go pastor that church. Thank you, God. And, and so his friend comes up to me and says, so what are you going to do there? Listen, I've just got a heart to love on those people, and I, was just, I want to see them grow, and I'm going to teach the Bible, and I'm just going to try to be the best pastor I can be. And then his friend says, well, you know what you need? You need a vision statement. I need a vision statement. Okay, a vision statement. Okay, so 80 people that need me. And he comes up with a vision statement. You guys with me? So all of a sudden he comes and he starts pastoring the church and he successfully grows that church from 80 to 8. Anyone? You know what I'm talking about? Because a new pastor comes in and like, we don't like him. But he has a vision statement and he's, and he's declaring it all the time. Hey, church, listen, here's my vision statement. And everybody's like, every Sunday it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And all of a sudden he gets there and one Sunday morning and there's eight people. What do you think he's going to do to the verse that was preached to him and said, if you have a vision statement, your church will grow. And if you have a vision statement, guess what? Everything's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's... He's going there thinking that those 80 people were going to be, what, at least doubled and tripled. And you go, Pastor, your point, here it is. Listen. Whenever we take a verse out of context and we stand alone and then we don't see it come because we take it because it's not what it's supposed to say, we, we, can, we can just throw the whole Bible out and not trust God anymore. I, just can't, I can't believe. Well, God, listen, you said, if I, you said without, without a vision, my people perish. And, and I, got, I gave them a vision and that people I left, all the, left the church. I mean, what happened? And there's such a danger. There is such a danger, guys. And so that's why we've come in and said, okay, listen, understand it in context so that you can go, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. This is what it's saying. This is what it's saying. So in order to understand, we have to do some work, okay? So come back. Let's come back. Let's teach it the way it was in context, okay? We're going to do some work. We're going to do some work. From chapters 27 to 29, these are proverbs that concern actions, okay? So Solomon in his wisdom wrote a lot of proverbs, but these were, these were, let's just say it together, action proverbs. That's what they are. They're action, okay? And you go, well, what kind of action? Well, if you're taking note, chapter 7 is all about actions concerning life, concerning life. And, and that's the whole point of the Bible. Don't we want practical application? Listen, a lot of people go, well, that's an ancient book and it doesn't have any relevance. No, it does because he says, he says in Proverbs, here we go. It's actions concerning life. And then he comes in the first part of chapter 28, he says there's actions concerning the law. Actions concerning the law. You're like, okay. In verse 11 through 28 of chapter 28, he says, now there's actions concerning wealth. So these are things that you and I all deal with. Right? We deal with life every single day. We get up every morning and we all have what we call life. Can I just make a suggestion to you about life? Some of us are just existing 
and some of us are actually living. And Proverbs says, listen, there's some things about life I want you to live. You've got, you've got but one life to live. And he wants you to live it to the fullest. And then he comes back and he says, okay, chapter 29. He says, okay, so you got 27, 28, 29. You know what, you know what chapter 29 is all about? Stubbornness. Stubbornness. You know what I'm talking about? Being stubborn? Anybody know what being stubborn is all about? None of us, right? Right? No, no, stubborn. He knows we're stubborn. And it starts off when we're kids, right? Mommy sits there and he says, he says, Johnny, sit down. And Johnny's like, no. Johnny, I said, sit. No. He's being stubborn, right? So all of a sudden, Johnny sits, right? And he goes, and, and so he goes, I may be what? I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. Right? He's stubborn. He's stubborn. And so again, chapter 29 comes in, and it's all about stubbornness. Stubbornness. So, where do we start? Well, we don't have time to go through all of it, so let's pick it up in stubbornness. Let's, let's pick it up in verse 15, okay? These are Proverbs in the context of stubbornness, right? And, and let me ask you a question before. Yeah, you're already looking. You're already looking. Let me, let me ask you a question. Who seems to be the most stubborn? Please don't say your wife. Right? Mainly the kids, right? The kids, you ask them to do something, they just seem stubborn, right? And, and then you say, well, yeah, they get it from my wife's side of the family. Because Martinez's are very compliant people, that's what I say. Did you hear her laugh? You know about stubborn, right? You know when it comes to stubbornness, right? We're all stubborn, right? I mean, what? T- tell me about it. Like, which one of us doesn't have a cough for weeks? And then somebody says, go to the doctor. What do you say? Oh, no. They'll find something out. They'll find something wrong with me. You're stubborn. Why Why do you not go? Oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. We, we just don't go. We're stubborn, right? Because we'll say, man, they're going to find something. Well, yeah, you have a cough, right? I don't want them to know my business. We're, we're stubborn that way, aren't we? We're stubborn. You should probably go to the doctor. No, 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 no. I'll be all right. I'll be all right. Just... Just put some dirt on it, right? <laughs> you ever remember that? Just put some dirt, you'll be fine. Well, let's pick it up in verse 15. Notice what it says. The rod and the and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother, right? So what's he saying? First and foremost, he's talking about kids. He's saying he's talking about he's talking about discipline. Right? He's talking about you should be disciplining your children. You go, what do you mean? He says, the rod and rebuke bring wisdom. You guys know that's true. What a great proverb that is, right? In the context of stubborn, he's going, listen, there comes a time when you discipline your little ones because a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. What do you need to do? You need to discipline your children and you do it and how do you discipline your children you do it out of love don't you right we don't we don't discipline our kids because we're mad listen come here come here come here you're good i mean right you know what i'm talking about we usually love them because if we discipline them it's because they were getting ready to hurt themselves you guys walk out the front door and kids are notorious for 
just being excited. And what do you do? Hey, I said stop! Right? Because you're afraid they're going to run into the street. And you know what's in the street. They don't know what's in the street. You know. And they're going, you're mean. I'm not mean. I love you. You don't understand that as soon as you cross, car could hit you. Car could hit you. So, let me ask you a question, church. What happens when your kid looks at you with that look? Like, mm-hmm. Try me. And it runs out into the street. What do you do? Oh, that don't go in this. It's okay. You're like, come here. Don't you, right? <laughs> I'm going to get called on there and be like, come here. Why? Because you know that that's dangerous. It's, it's dangerous. And some of you... You remember, parents, have, have you ever had to swat your child? What did, what did you used to say? This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. You know what my kids used to go, uh-uh. But that's what we would say. Because we want them to learn. What happens, guys? What Seriously. But a child left himself brings shame to his mother. What happens? If you just let him get away with everything. Now, let me ask you this, okay? Let me ask you this. Mommies and daddies, do you discipline your kids? Right. Why? Well, Pastor Ben, I love them. I love them. Yeah, sometimes we had to spank them. Sometimes spanking didn't, like, like I had a kid that spanking didn't do anything, okay? She got in trouble. She's like, watch, go ahead. You know what I mean? But if you put her in time out, by herself, with no people. She's crying for mercy. God help me, right? I mean, so it's different disciplines. But you discipline your kids, and here's why. Listen, listen, listen. How is it that because you discipline your kids, you love them, but when God, our Heavenly Father, disciplines us, we're mad at Him. You see, sometimes, church, God will send a storm to get your attention. And, and if you've ever been spanked by God, you know it. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God disciplines his kids. And, we're, and, and we don't like it because we're like, oh, I can't believe God. What's wrong? God didn't like me. I mean, you're just, and you should be going, wow, you love me enough to spank me. Okay. Not going to do that again. But we don't, guys. But but it's but but if you love your kids enough to make sure they don't run into the street or touch a hot stove or you know, or all of the things that are very dangerous, you need to know that God loves you enough to discipline you. So he's talking about discipline. Why? Because we're stubborn. God says, "Hey, hey, 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 hey! Please don't do that." He tells you. He tells young people, "Please." Please don't don't awaken love until it's time. Please be careful. Please, and then we go. No, God, I got this. And then sometimes there's a discipline, and we're mad at God instead of going, God, thank you for thank you for disciplining me. Because why? A child left to himself, right? A child left to himself will bring shame to his mother. Look at verse sixteen. Okay, this is going to help some of you in here. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increases but the righteous will see their fail. You see that? 
when the wicked, when, when people are out doing wicked things and they're, and they're manipulating and they're gossiping and they're doing all this stuff, you go, man, it just seems like this is, but here's what the Bible just said, but the righteous will see their fail, their fall, excuse me. The righteous will see their fall. You're going to just stand your ground as righteousness of God and you're going to watch them. The wickedness are going to, the wicked people are going to be, that's a proverb. That's a problem. That's hope. Right? You go, Pastor, your point. Guys, our world is going, it's in a mess, isn't it? I mean, have you not, have you not got up and go, oh my goodness, Lord, you're going to need to come back real soon because things are not getting better. They're getting worse. And violence is on the rise and people are being more and more wicked. I mean, it's just, I, Lord, please do something. And, and, and here, I appealed to first service. Can I appeal to you? Listen, if you have kids, you're raising kids. Please, parents, be on top of your game. Please be more on top of your game. You go, why? Because they're being brought up in a world that we don't know anything about. It's different. The 80s are different than the 90s. Than the Our kids are being brought. We have to be on top of it. Tr- trust me, church. Listen. Listen. We have to. You're going, parents, man. I applaud you, but know the score. Know what's going on. Know what your children are. Listen, know what your children are watching, who they're texting, what's on their phone. Do your homework. Do your homework. Because they're living in a world that's so foreign to us that we're just like, no, they're fine. And we've got to be on top of that, Christian. You've got to be on top of that. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increases. Yeah, yeah. And people believe their report. But the righteous will see their fall. Verse 17. Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will be a delight to your soul. What does it say? Correct, guys. It's discipline. Correct him. Correct your son. And he will be and he will give you rest. That's a proverb. But let me let you on a little secret. That doesn't mean that life is going to be just... Listen, you, you do your very best to correct your son... No, no, don't do that. Yes, do that. Okay, here's what we want to do. Here's what we want to do. Listen, my my grandbaby, whenever I take her to the park, okay, we'll be walking, and whether she's on the whether she's on the uh, wagon or we're walking, we'll stop at the every corner. It doesn't matter, and I will tell her, listen, okay, we have to be careful. We have to make sure that we have to look right and left and right and make sure. Is it clear? Her whole heart is, I want to get to the park. The toys! But we have to teach them. Why? Because I want her to know that the street is dangerous. And we do that all the way around, don't we? You can do that. Because later on, you want to go, listen, my boy, my daughter, they're a delight to my soul. They're a delight to my soul. Verse 18, in context. Let's see how much time I have. Oh, goodness. And where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. Okay? Now, the last part of this verse, in context, but happy is he who keeps the law, supplies a strong hint about the message of vision and perish. Message of vision and perish. If you're taking note, here's what I want you to write down. The Hebrew word, the Hebrew word translated vision refers to the revelation or proclamation of God's word. Okay, that's what it's saying. 
And you go, what does that mean? He says, where there is no the Word of God being taught, where there is no truth in God's Word. The word perish in the Hebrew means to be loosened or to display a lack of restraint. In other words, they go crazy. They just, they just leave. They're just nuts. You know, your point? Here's what it's saying, guys. He's saying, listen, where people are not being taught God's word, verse by verse, being taught the word of God, he says, a lot of people will perish. A lot of people will walk away from God. A lot of people won't get it. That's, that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, we're living in a stubborn generation. We're living in a stubborn generation. And if we're not teaching them the word of God, a lot of them are going to go, ah. And, and, and church, our young people, that's what they're doing. They're going, ah. That was good for grandpa. That was good for mom and dad. That was cool. They took us to church. But I don't know if I really believe. I don't know if I really get it. You know, so I'm kind of do my own thing. And we got to teach them the Word of God. Guys, how do we teach them the Word of God? We teach them when they wake up, the Bible says, and when they go to sleep, and we use illustrations, and we do our very best to teach them. This is what. But listen, you can't teach unless you're in the Word studying yourself, and that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, our goal, our job right here. Listen, I love the vision statement, and let's rah-rah, and let's get excited, and let's be motivated, and let's all go out and reach people for Jesus. But let me tell you this. It's the Word of God that's going to stand true in our lives every single day. It's the Word of God. And you know what? And you know what's going to keep you, church? Men, you know what's going to keep you from having an affair on your wife? It's the Word of God. The Word of God and your love for God's Word. That's what's going to do it. Right? You know what's going to keep you from, uh, I mean, cheating on your taxes? I mean, you just name it, right? What's going to keep you? The Word of God. Why? What's going to keep you from walking away from Jesus? The Word of God. The Word of God. The perfect example, guys, if you want to just jot down an illustration. Do you remember when we taught the book of Nehemiah? Do you remember it was our 52 days series? Do you remember what it was? Do you remember what happened? Right, Nehemiah was called to build the walls, and when he built the walls in 52 days, do you remember what they did? They found the word of God and they read it to the people. And guess what happened? The people were so moved and so broken. They're like, oh. As a matter of fact, that's the only place it talks about a teaching priest. A teach. I mean, the, the priest is to teach them and they're like, oh. and, and revival broke out. Why? Because that's what the word of God does. That's what the word of God does. And, and again, it's just like, wow. You see, sometimes we think it wasn't Nehemiah's catchy vision statement, right? Or Venn diagram. Hey guys, listen. Where this is, he just, what did he do? He said, this is what God has told me and I'm going to teach the people the word of God. I'm going to teach people the word of God. Why? Guys, listen, listen. I love my, I, I love me a good preaching every now and then. A good motivation and amen. I, I love that. But you know where I live? I live in the real world and I need a foundation in God's word because I know that life hits me hard. I've got to hold on to God's word. And what I found in my life, maybe not yours, what I found is that without a foundation, man, I just, I just flow down the current like everyone else. And I, I want you to have the foundation of the word of God. What happens when life blows up? What am I supposed to do? Where do I run? The Word of God. That's what, 
That's what the Proverbs is all about. He's saying, guys, stick to the Word of God. It's been said of the Bible that it's been born to be battered. The loving phone call book. He says, underline it. Circle things. Write in the margins. Turn down page concerns. The more you use it, the more valuable it gets. Guys, listen, I love, I love that we could have our phone on our, on, have our Bible on our phones or our ta- I love that, guys. It's great. It's a great alternative. But let me say this. There's nothing like this where you can write in it and scribble and mark and make a heart and you know exactly what verse that you want to go to when you need something. Oh, pastor, I won't write. Write in your Bibles, guys. Make marks. Let it be. This is. Okay, I'm going to close. So the worship team is going to come up and sing one last song. But let me say this. Let me ask you this, church. Let me ask you this, okay? What do you do when you forget your phone at home? Whoa. Uh, A lot of us will turn around and go get it. Right? Because this is this is this is this is our little you know, right, and and I mean a lot of us can't go out anywhere with our. I get it. I'm the same way. But you know what my goal is, and I pray for yours, that we use this like our phone. Like we go, yeah, I got my phone, but you know what? I won't. You know, I won't go anywhere without this. I won't go anywhere without this. Why? Because you're sitting in traffic. Pull it out. You're at the doctor's office. You want to read their magazines or do you want to read something like this? Right? But here's more importantly. Here's what's going to happen. Listen, it's not so much that you read the Bible, but that the Bible reads you. And that it's in you. And church, let me say this. Let me say this. This is completely free because I didn't say it for a service. It must be for you. Listen. If for some reason, as believers, we're persecuted, Do you know enough Bible that if they came in and took away this, they said, give me that, you can never. You have enough Bible in your heart that you know the Word of God and and, and it's it's inside you. That's the key. That's the goal. If you take away my Bible, I still know enough about this. I know. I remember. I trust it. That's what he's saying. Because this... This Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this Bible. You've got to be in the Word of God, guys. Father, we thank you for your Word and the truth in your Word, and we love you so much. We thank you tonight, this morning, God, for all that you're doing. We pray you would just move mightily. Thank you for the worship team. Thank you for this beautiful Sunday. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. 
If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.